folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch the baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider, presented by Scout Logistics. Matthew Collar here, along with Courtney, our draft scout, Courtney Cronin. But today, Courtney, we are not talking about scouting. We will be doing that soon with our Scout Logistics scouting reports as we get fully into draft season. But we have to talk about a new offensive coordinator in a, what I want to call, semi-emergency podcast. This is not a full emergency because this is something that you and I and I think the rest of the entire universe expected from the minute Gary Kubiak retired, that Clint Kubiak will be the offensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings. Yep. All of that. There is little (laughs) surprise, little intrigue. Um, This was when Mike Zimmer talks about continuity and all that that entails in running this offense. I mean, you had the guy who created this offense, this Kubiak-Shanahan scheme, come back to Minnesota to install it in 2019 um, and end his, essentially end his coaching, his day-to-day coaching career, because I personally don't think Gary is done by any stretch, but end his play-calling career by putting the offense in place and then having his son co- conveniently there in the wings to be able to take over one day. And that one day came two years after the crew, the two Kubiaks, Clint and Gary, Brian Periani, the tight ends coach, and um, yeah, Rick Dennison, the run game coordinator uh, slash offensive line coach, since they all came together as a giant package deal in 2019. That day has come. And it should come to the surprise of absolutely no one that Clint Kubiak is in this position, mm-hmm. not just nepotism. I know that that's the first thing that's going to come to mind. And yeah, the Vikings are definitely perpetrators of it. I mean, you have multiple coaches, sons on staff, not just Clint Kubiak, Adam Zimmer's the co-defensive coordinator and linebackers coach, AC Patterson, the son of co-defensive coordinator slash defensive line coach, Andre Patterson is also on staff. Um, you know, previously it was Jerry Gray who was DB's coach. His son Jeremy was was a scout, a pro scout for the Vikings. Like, the Vikings aren't the only team that does this. Although you would think that, just given what my Twitter mentions are reading currently uh, about this hire, or rather promotion. But I I look at it, you know, beyond that because certainly nepotism is an issue in the NFL, but that's a topic certainly for another day. I look at this as Mike Zimmer realizing how he can still kind of preside over the offense 
without having somebody challenge him, essentially. Clint Kubiak is 33 years old. We have no clue his capabilities as a play caller, his offensive philosophy, none of it. Why? Because he's never done it. So we don't really know Clint Kubiak. Could he be an extension of Gary? Could he be better than Gary? Sure. Future's a great place. Like, it's, you know, I'm excited to see what's in store for him. But he is indebted to Mike Zimmer. So do you think that this guy's going to be pushing the envelope and, you know, trying to, like, change the run-pass ratio and, and the balance that they have? I don't think so. I think that Mike Zimmer saw this as a window to keep as much of that continuity going forward. That's his buzzwords the last two years. But what does that mean? It means that you're going to have a play-action scheme that limits passing volume and a heavy emphasis on the run, the exact same thing that Gary came here to install. You're carrying that forward to another season, and you don't have to change the terminology, the verbiage, any of that because you are running the exact same scheme by somebody who is physically and biologically as close to the creator of it uh, as, as humanly possible. Um, so I know that you and your brother, when you were kids, that you got in trouble running around doing things. And my brother and I did too. And I'm sure at some point your parents said, I am not letting you two out of my sight. And I feel like it's the same way with Mike Zimmer in the offense. Like after what happened with John Filippo in 2018, it's just like, I am not letting this offense out of my sight. And I am not giving up full control of this offense to where it gets out of hand and they're doing things that I don't want them to do. I am going to make sure that I am still in command of that ship on that side of the ball. The last guy who had control over the offense was probably Pat Shermer. And I know Gary Kubiak is as proven as they come, but it still felt like Mike Zimmer was calling the shots for how he wanted the offense to be. And even when we would hear Zimmer and Gary Kubiak talk, it would, you know, Zimmer would say things like, yeah, Gary asked me if we could take a shot there. And and I know that it's a cumulative effort and that's how play calling works. It's not just one guy who's got you know the headset on is making the play calls, but even with the run pass ratio and how they approached it versus even years before with Gary Kubiak, when you compare some of the numbers, it really looks like this was Mike Zimmer's imprint on how he wanted the offense exactly. And Gary Kubiak did his job as the offensive coordinator and Clint Kubiak will do it again. In my instant reaction piece for the website, I just wrote down a bunch of questions that sort of came into my mind. One being, will Clint Kubiak have the freedom under Zimmer to throw more? Is he going to be able to modernize this thing? Will he be able to find other ways to use Delvin Cook in the passing game? And will the front office give him everything he needs, a la more weapons and some better guard play? And um, at least as I was writing them, I was going, no, probably not. Uh, unlikely, Mm, probably don't think so. Um, Can you convince me otherwise? No, because, I mean, that's why it's such an unsexy move because you don't anticipate somebody who's doing this for the first time. Um, One thing that Clint Kubiak does not have is experience. I mean, yeah, he has a famous last name of a guy who invented the offense with Mike Shanahan, but he's not Kyle Shanahan, the son of Mike Shanahan. He's Clint Kubiak, the inexperienced, relatively Mm -hmm. speaking, offensive mind and younger uh, son of Gary Kubiak. Like he's not, he hasn't risen to the status of play caller yet. Like this is his first go around with this. So I don't anticipate them wanting to be like, here's, you can have carte blanche and do whatever you want and start calling the shots on offense. Like the easiest transition here is using this almost as like a a stopgap 
to get him comfortable being like, all right, like that's why I don't anticipate much changing at all with this offense. And it's not just a matter of, oh, Kirk's on to his fourth offensive coordinator since he got here in 2018. I think a lot of that has to do with keeping the play caller insulated, which is also why I believe that Gary Kubiak's not going that far. I mean, yes, you have Brian Periani and uh, Dennison on staff, two trusted Kubiak confidants that will help insulate him. I mean, obviously, you know, Dennison has called run plays before. Maybe this year he becomes the full-time run game um, call and run plays, and then Clint's handling mm-hmm. the passing game. I don't know how that's going to work. Um, I don't know how you can have co-OCs, essentially, uh, or co-play callers and, and how any of that would work. But nonetheless, I have a feeling, and I'm not saying anything about Clint Kubiak's football mm-hmm. acumen mm-hmm. or anything like that. I just think you are going to insulate the hell out of this guy so he doesn't fail in his first year. Um, Mike Zimmer's job, I mean, could very well be on the line by how this offense performs this season, especially early on. Like, don't don't make any mistake about it. Like, the Vikings were seven and nine last year. If they make if they miss the playoffs next year, I think everybody's getting fired. I really do. Um, so this was probably the least risky move he could make, even though Clint Kubiak is not experienced and you're kind of hedging your bets on an unproven commodity um, because he knows, I just have a feeling that Gary's going to be around. That's kind of the vibe that I get from speaking with people that Kubes will stay in some sort of behind the scenes advisor mm-hmm. role. He just doesn't want to be a play caller anymore. Like, yeah. why would he? He did it for like 25 years. Like, you know, he, he's he's had plenty of experience doing it as a head coach and offensive coordinator. The man is roses. Let him chill. But even Gary kind of hinted at, like, I don't want to leave football completely. I miss the guys. Like, he said that when he was from 17 to 18, when he was in Denver. Rather, he was at the ranch working with Denver right. um, in personnel. He missed the camaraderie. He missed the, the BSing. He missed the coaching meetings and all that stuff. Um this is his chance. I, I firmly believe that when he came back in 19, it wasn't just because he had the itch to truly just for him to get back. I mean, that was part of it. I think that was his way of setting his son up and helping him, using the leverage he has. I mean, if you have kids, you want to do right by them. You want to put them in the best position to succeed. What, what better position do you have than getting back into it, helping your son get his feet under him, and then – pushing him on the bike and letting him go. Not saying the training wheels are off. Maybe you got one. That's what my parents used to do. They took one off and then put it back on. They put the other one off. Just so like <laughs> You've kind of got like one wobbly side and one steady side. Like, I don't think it's going to be like, you know, just floor the car to 100 miles an hour and let him go. But he has the keys to this machine, and he's going to get to drive it with hands at 10 and 2 and carefully maintain this offense so it can look as closely as possible to the version it was last year. I love your metaphor. I think it's so good. I, I thought it was a good one. I was no, really, I really, I really do. I think it's so perfect to say that this is sort of like in driver's ed, when you've got the teacher and they've got the brake on their side and they could push it whenever they want. Um, yes. 
it feels exactly that way for Clint Kubiak. Like you are the offensive coordinator, but Mike Zimmer is going to have things his way. Gary is still maybe going to be around. If not, you still have Rick Dennison, who is the offensive coordinator for Gary for a long time. As you mentioned, Brian Periani, the tight ends coach, he's been around Gary Kubiak for a long time. Like this is hey, kind of just do what your dad did and don't crash the car. As long as you stop at the stoplights, drive when you're supposed to drive, and go the speed limit, then we'll all get through this with the 11th best offense in the league again. Here's the thing I think about, though. And this, again, is not to speak to what Clint Kubiak wants to do. It's what he's going to be allowed to do or what he's capable of doing. We don't know that yet because he's never been an offensive coordinator before. And, you know, the fact that he's close with Kevin Stefanski would kind of make me think, I bet this guy knows some modern things that they could do. Are they going to let him do those things would be my question, right? I mean, is he going to get any leeway to say, hey, this is my offense. I am implementing more motion. We are not running on second down and eight anymore. I mean, I doubt it. I I just have a really tough time thinking that those decisions are going to be made by anybody except for Mike Zimmer. And this is kind of a scary proposition for Vikings fans because I have a stat for you. It's kind of crazy. And I just ran across it the other day working on a piece. Um, The Minnesota Vikings were happy with their offense last year. Mike Zimmer said he's thrilled. It was the most explosive offense he's ever had. And Mm -hmm. it's not super true, but like, you know, anyway, that's what he said. He was very happy. They had, a below average point production by the standard of the playoff team. So take all the playoff teams and average playoff offense. Their offense was below that in terms of how many points they scored. So it has to get better. Do they realize it has to get better or not even they does Mike Zimmer does the front office, are they saying to themselves, this has to get better? Or did they watch the Super Bowl and say, you know what, it's all about defense, brother? I mean, that's that's what's <laughs> probably, sadly, if it was the top four scoring teams in the NFL in the final four. But that's kind of where my mind goes is, are you going to let Clint put in things that I am convinced um, that he would know are the modern way of doing it as a younger coach? Yeah, I mean, he's 33 years old. Like, yes, he grew up in Gary's offense, essentially. I mean, he spent a number of years um, coaching. He was he was in Minnesota long time ago, um, back when, you know, to, when he and Stefanski knew each other. I mean, that was kind of like a thing, a big reason why, um, you know, the Kubiaks came and working with Stefanski. But he was there from 2013 to 14, um, you know, was at A&M before that conveniently his dad was also at A&M at one point and went to A&M a big alum um he was at Kansas in 15 and then he began his NFL career like in in true began his NFL career um you know in Denver in 16 through 18 where he's an offensive assistant and quarterbacks coach and then he becomes a full-time you know coach here because he was an assistant wide receivers coach 13 14 and QC uh for offense in Minnesota but then I think But the years that he was with Gary, 16, and I mean, Gary was there but wasn't there, um, 17 and 18, but he was in his father's offense. Mm -hmm. Like, he knows how Gary's mind works. He knows the philosophy. And here's the thing about this offense. The Shanahan uh, Shanahan Kubiak scheme, which was cultivated 25 years ago when those guys were out in San Francisco, 
Um, it's of course, like what are the what are the basic principles of this? Like you know, a split back system, uh, you know, short quick passes, play action offense that limits passing volumes, wide zone, outside zone, running scheme, all of that. There are a lot of teams that run this. Mm-hmm. Kyle Shanahan yep. runs it. Sean McVay runs a version of it. Kevin Stefanski runs a version of it. Yep. Um, Matt Lafleur runs a version of it. But the terminology factor. Um, is huge. And there are so many intricacies. I've been researching this the last couple of weeks in anticipation of this being like, well, why can't you just go get somebody that, you know, ran like kind of the, the, the pros and cons of hire Clint or go hire somebody who's kind of been in the same system, but it's not been directly under Kubiak. Mm-hmm. Like the terminology for footwork alone on three, five and seven stop, step drops. So like just insane, like how, long that takes quarterbacks to learn that and how detailed and how intricate it, it is. And that's why I think they're like, it's not just Clint Kubiak. It, it's they're worried about Kirk having to deviate from what he's been doing the last mm-hmm. few years because, you know, with Gary, um, even with, Stefans- with Stefanski, Kyle Rudolph said this on that podcast a couple weeks ago that the terminology and the verbiage did not change whatsoever from the 19 season going into last off season. They didn't mm-hmm. have to relearn anything. It was literally Gary's offense the whole time. So if you wanted any confirmation that it's Kevin Stefanski was running Gary's offense, there you have it. Yep. Um, yep. And I think you can modernize this thing. Why? Because those four coaches I mentioned uh, who are running basically the, the base principles of this are their core principles. They've done that in, in a number of different ways. Will Clint Kubiak get that same sort of freedom? It comes down to the F word, freedom. I don't think so because I'm with you. I think that Mike Zimmer sees this as an opportunity and really his last chance because, yeah, the the three-year extension kicks in in 2021. But beyond that, like, you know, going big-time changes on offense for him probably doesn't yield um, – you know, another year or two here. I really don't believe it, which I know we've talked about it and it's kind of been the buzzworthy thing recently about should they consider trading Kirk Cousins? The answer is yes. Like if you're trying to save your job, like it's not in my mind, they might view it differently, but in my mind, it's not admitting fault um, that Kirk didn't work out. It's, Hey, let's get out from under this contract. It's a, mm-hmm. it's an anchor. Um, let's do it. And, you know, in the, in the process, let's bring somebody in Um for Clint to, to coach, you know, clean slate for, for both guys running the same offense. And yeah, I mean, you are teaching somebody new at that point. So it is kind of a pick your poison, but shoot. I mean, when we talk about aggressive moves and things that they can do to actually get better, the Kubiak move doesn't do that for me right away because it's unproven. There's other ways to do it, but they are trying to go the most conservative route as possible because in their mind, that's how they keep the jobs. Hey, I want to take a second to tell you about our friends at Scout Logistics. And I really mean it when I say friends. They are fans of Purple Insider over at Scout Logistics. And they reached out wanting to support this show. And I want to tell you about what they do. Scout Logistics is just-in-time transportation for perishable, non-perishable, and fragile freight from source to door. And if you're wondering what that means exactly, well, if you own or work for a company that needs shipping solutions, they're the preferred carrier of Fortune 500 companies across North America, and we have quite a few of those in Minnesota, right? They can ship perishable, non-perishable, oversized, or fragile goods, and they have on-time delivery rate of over 99%. So, 
know if you're like them and you enjoy the show and you have shipping needs, check out ScoutLogistics.com or call 855-217-2688, extension 232, to connect with them directly to find out how Scout Logistics can minimize risk, overperform, and go the extra mile for your company. I 100% agree on the freedom point is when you look at how this offense has expanded in different people's systems, like Matt LaFleur, like Kyle Shanahan, like Sean McVay, I mean, this thing works. Play action works. Running the wide zone and play actions off it and crossing routes and all those things work. But last year we saw Sean McVay have to adapt and use a lot more screens and quick passes to get the most out of Jared Goff because he was struggling without the offensive line that had helped him a couple of years before. And we've, you know, seen Kyle Shanahan put in all sorts of different stuff in the running game, uh, using the fullback as sort of this, you know, player that's all over the field and, and this different creativity to it that goes beyond just, you know, kind of the base principles of what Gary Kubiak does. And I think that Kevin Stefanski did a good job of implementing some of those in 2019 that I felt like we saw less of in 2020. And you would like to see those come back if you're going to get more out of this offense and also be given, Clint Kubiak, be given some more players. I mean, like, it's funny how all of a sudden Sean McVay says, ah, it must be the quarterback who's the problem when the support Supporting cast on the offensive side was not giving Jared Goff what he needed. And then it, now it's not me, the play caller. I mean, a lot of times it's the players that you have and with the Vikings, they have some good players. Of course they do. And that's why they had a good offense last year. But if you're going to go forward with cousins, then you have to have great, players all around him you have to improve at the guard you have to improve with the playmakers and that's where I wonder are they going to do that and my snark about the defensive line is not to say they don't need help we'll get to that they do they of course they do need a ton of help on the defensive line it's just that you know with this offense as it pertains to Clint Kubiak are we going to still be having the same conversations about the shortcomings because he's dealing with the same things on the offensive line with the shortage of wide receivers um, that Kevin Stefanski and Gary Kubiak dealt with the last couple of years. And I, I tend to think the answer is yes, but it's very much we'll see. And I am with you on nothing should be considered if you're making the smarter move, admitting faults. Don't even like, don't even think about that type of thing. It's just, what do we do now? Is that that sunk cost? Like sunk cost is you extended him when maybe you shouldn't have. Oh, well, it's like um, in anybody who plays chess or watch the Queen's Gambit. If you lose a player, you just move on and make the next move. You don't cry about it or worry about it. You have to just make the next move. And the same thing would go for if Kirk Cousins' value on the trade market is crazy high. Yeah. Well, you right? Don't, don't worry that. how it looks. Right. And, and not even be like, well, we kept Clint around for Kirk. We could have done, you know, differently here. No. Like – the order of things happening here really should not affect you, at least, um, you know, at least, you know, beyond what it is right now. If you can get good value for Kirk, you could get Jimmy Garoppolo in a second-round pick. You do it. Because mm-hmm. why you don't have a second-round pick and Jimmy Garoppolo is a lot cheaper than Kirk Cousins and you don't have to necessarily extend him. You can draft a quarterback. You can start moving in a different direction. Um, he may be enough to get you by. That's actually kind of like the the Mike Zimmer philosophy right there is with somebody like Jimmy G, you know, a non-top-15 quarterback in my opinion. But Mm -hmm. 
cheaper than what you'd be spending on cousins these next few years. Um, and you're essentially like, you know, getting somebody for a fraction of the cost, not like backup level. Um, but you can, you know, an average quarterback at 25 million and you can just pour all that money into your defense. Like if that's what you want to do, because, you know, looking at this game plan from last night and, and what the Bucks did and how good they were, um, that defense is elite. They also had a really good offense, but I'm not sure, you know, you know, maybe that, maybe some people think that you don't need that, that you can have an average offense and a really, really good defense. Um, I don't know if that's truly how you win football games. I don't believe it is in my personal opinion. I think you need both. Um, but the freedom created, and yes, there is dead cap associated, like 20 million associated with cousins. If, if you do move on from him via a trade, but hell, if you get back a cheaper quarterback in the $25 million range that Garoppolo is, and you also get like a, a nice high draft pick, which you currently don't have a second round pick, why wouldn't you do it? I think the big thing is this week, we're going to all be waiting to see what's going on with Carson Wentz. If he, yeah. if, if a team really gives up two firsts for him, my God, like what could you get for Kirk Cousins? Like if I'm the Vikings, I'm foaming at the mouth at that point being like, all right, game on. We were, we were, <laughs> you know, just kind of laying low for a little bit. Um, Shoot, I mean, if you're a Houston Texans and you see a two for two first for Deshaun Watson or for Carson Wentz, you may never trade Deshaun Watson at this point until a team gives you like ownership rights. <laughs> yeah, right. right. They have to give you the whole draft and the whole roster um, exactly in order to get Deshaun Watson. And then, ironically, uh, a team will have given up so much for Deshaun Watson that, like the Texans, they can't build a good roster anymore, which is always a problem. A nice little um, catch twenty two there. I will be interested if there's any legitimate sources that say Kirk Cousins is yeah. at all on the block because so far we're oh for that. It's sort of rumor here, rumor there, but nothing where you would even say there's fire where there's smoke. No, so, I just think it's something you need to consider. Like yeah, yeah. more than like because uh, you know a couple of weeks ago Adam Schefter tweeted out this graphic and I was looking at it and it's like damn there could be 18 quarterbacks on the move. And some of those are the likes of Deshaun Watson, while others are the likes of Andy Dalton or Marcus Mariota. Right. Or right. Um, any of those guys. But, like, the Vikings right now are the only only team in the NFC North that hasn't dealt with um, an ounce of quarterback instability this offseason. I mean, the Lions yep. already traded with their guy and got a new one. The Bears are an inch away from potentially getting Carson Wentz. Um, they can't afford Deshaun Watson. That's obvious. Um, the Packers are, you know, they say that Aaron Rodgers is going to stay there. I think he is. I think he was just pouting. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, I don't think that was anything, like, super serious. But, um, you Lifetime know, to a it's new contract. quiet. Yeah, it's kind of wild that the Vikings are, like, the one team in the NFC North that's not mm-hmm. having, like, any questions which may, leads me to believe that there are absolutely questions and that you should get involved it now literally is this is a gift this is an absolute gift of a window to get out from under this contract because other than that you're probably going to have to restructure him which is crazy because you know that base salary becomes we've talked about this it becomes guaranteed on the third day of this league year which i believe it's march 19th um so how are you going to, I mean, and I know we're talking about Clint Kubiak here, but like Kirk is the, is the crux of all this. Cause he's got a $31 million cap hit this year. His base salary for next year, which is guaranteed third day of this league year, 35 million. His cap hit for next year is 45 million. Mm-hmm. 
don't you have to restructure him going into this league year if you're going to keep him? Like, because of the cat. I mean, it stresses me out. I don't know. I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, if I'm, like, thinking about this. Yeah. Because it's like, how could you not entertain the possibility of moving on from him at right. that rate alone? Yep, yep. It's entirely about the contract and where you stand as a roster, which is the last point that I wanted to get your opinion on. Um, is how far away the Vikings are to the Tampa Bay Bucks in other stuff not named Tom Brady. Like, look, you don't have even 43-year-old Tom Brady. The Bucks still had a top three offense in scoring this year. Brady was still a top three quarterback by Pro Football Focus. That's not going to happen whether you trade Cousins, whether you keep them, whether you name Bill Walsh the offensive court. It's not happening. However, there are other players on this team that played a very key role in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers being the Super Bowl champions. But I I was looking at their roster and who played in that Super Bowl. And right now, they have two defensive ends that are outstanding, a nose tackle who's one of the best in the league, another defensive tackle who dominated last night's game in Dominican Sioux, and they used all over the place. So they have four top-notch defensive linemen, a couple of rotational players. They Mm -hmm. have a good secondary of which they invested quite a bit. Um, Austin Gale had this list, and I'm I'm, I'm just going to take a second here, and I'm going to call it up on my old computer because I want to read it to you. This was not just a defensive line. So they have Carlton Davis, second round pick, Jordan Whitehead, fourth round pick, Sean Murphy Bunting, second round pick, Jamel Dean, third, uh, Mike Edwards, third, and Antoine Winfield Jr., second. So that's over the last three years, the Bucks have invested a ton in the secondary. So the Vikings right now have, if Hunter comes back and Pierce comes back, they have two good defensive linemen. They need a lot more there. If even Jeff Gladney and Cam Dantzler work out, and Harrison Smith, you still need a safety. You still need another um, cornerback. And at least for now, you're set at the linebacker position like Tampa Bay had a great performance from their linebackers. So that, to me, puts them five or six healthy players away from being a defense like Tampa Bay and, and all of those players being somewhere between good and great. That That's a lot to do this offseason. Yeah. I don't, that's why I think we've talked about this, that the rebuild – they're in, and that's the phrase that I, I use with purpose. Um, they're rebuilding on defense. That's not a one or two year process. That's usually like anywhere from like two to three to four years. Um, and, and I firmly believe that that's what they're in. Um, and they're going to keep, you know, you know, kind of keep going about that. So what does that mean? Well, it, it means that how do you how do you quantify what the most pressing need for yourself is? in free agency and the draft, like which order are you going to do things in? Um, personally, I think that if you think that your windows now, which I, I don't, I just think the defense is a little further away from that. Then you spend money in free agency on a defensive tackle on somebody who's available as an addresser. Well, what's the problem with that? You don't got no money right now to do it. So what are you right. going to do? Like, you know, you know, you, you, the problem with being like, oh, look at all these draft picks they have in the top 100, what, three? Like, it's one first and, and two-thirds. Um, that's not – that's just like you, you can't expect to spend all three of those picks on defense and those guys com- come in and contribute right away and your mm-hmm. defense is back to where it was. Like, yeah, it's just not realistic. So I look at it and I say, yikes, like this is – they've got a couple other holes like that they need to fill. Um, 
the offense, I mean, has outside of, you know, left guard, which is the most pressing need, if, assuming you're going to keep Reef at left tackle and, and Ezra Cleveland at, at right guard. Um, you're in a position there that you don't have to spend as much, you know, of your draft capital on offense, but even if you do spend all of it on defense, let's just say hypothetically, does that automatically mean that you're going to have a great team? No. You have inexperienced guys playing starters roles. What'd they have this year? Inexperienced guys playing mm-hmm. starters roles. Yep. And look at what happened. Right. And so I think what Tampa Bay should show you is now they won the Super Bowl. Okay. There's lots of teams in the playoffs that were competitive. Green Bay was competitive. But what their roster shows you, if you want to compare to who was the best, is just how strong you have to be in order to get there. And in 2017, the Vikings had that. They had strength at every position, it felt like, except with Case Keenum, a quarterback, there were question marks. But they had good receivers, good running backs, a a capable offensive line. It wasn't great, but it was decent that year. And on the defensive side, great defensive line, great linebackers, great secondary. And you have to be a complete roster to get there. And I guess my question is, unless someone is coming out of nowhere with their development, how do you get there with the assets that you have for 2021? Which to me says, adjust your expectations for what you want to see. I just don't know if that's going to happen. I'm not saying that they should go seven and nine again. They should look for improvement. But when you consider the timeline, which is a piece I'm, I'm putting out on Tuesday on the timeline, like there's a big, big, big gain that is needed just in terms of roster quality. And I don't know how that happens unless there is some real true wizardry or a Kirk Cousins trade. And then that probably sets, sets you back um, in your timeline anyway. Is, I mean, if you get Jimmy G, maybe it doesn't. But otherwise, if you trade him to Indy for two draft picks, well, then who's your quarterback, right? So yeah. it, it'll be very interesting to see how these balls get juggled over the next uh, couple of months with the salary cap and the draft capital, which there are a lot of picks. But as you mentioned, not a lot of picks that in 2021 are going to make an impact. No, and that's the thing where I think you do the Cousins move if you have the window to do it because, yeah, it may give you a step back right now. It might not, but, like, it, it gives you a step back in the in the short term for, you know, 2021. But I can't see them – I mean, it helps you long term. It helps you 2022 and beyond, and – I just can't see the front office. I mean, I think that it's a ballsy move and it's risky, but it to me, if I'm like trying to prove to ownership, hey, don't fire me after this year, it's hey, look at what I just pulled off. Like, can I get like three claps for Courtney here? Like, I just pulled this off. Like, you know, we got out from under Kirk's contract. Like, hallelujah, he's gone. Like, you know, that's what you would sell it as if you were – Mike Zimmer or Rick Spielman, not like, oh, shoot, we just admitted failure. Here's our pink slip. I don't see it that way. But then again, you know, maybe I you know, I have a feeling that they see it differently because they had multiple chances, at least, you know, previously. They didn't have to extend him when they did. You know, they, they priced themselves out of, you know, in just the way that they, they structured his contract, rather, um, they kind of set themselves up for failure anyways this year. They knew that they'd be having to, like, adjust this in a year or two anyways. He's a $45 million cap hit in two years. You have to restructure that. 
There's no way. Even with the cap expected to go back up, and it didn't drop as far as we thought it would, it's supposed to go anywhere from, like, 180 to, like, 185 instead of being all the way down at the floor um, of 175. But nonetheless, you still are going to have to, like, move some pieces and do some things creatively and everything else. But, shoot, I don't know. Like, I think that you be as aggressive as you can because you can't half-ass the aggression. They tried to do some of that last year. Like, aggressive was Rick taking 15 draft picks. You know, half-assing aggression is not using any of those, like, bottom picks or packaging stuff to move up and get players that could have actually helped you right away. And I use that term lightly, helped right away, because certainly Justin Jefferson was a star. That's, that's you know, and Ezra Cleveland helped you right away. The two cornerbacks helped you because you had no other choice. But to get guys that would actually come in and be, you know, you know, if you wanted another first round pick or a second round pick, like you had all that draft capital to do it. It's like you have to go all in on being aggressive. You can't just do this one foot in, one foot out thing because that's the situation you get yourself in last year where you tear your defense in half and then you go effectively all in on offense with Dalvin's extension and Kirk's extension. It doesn't work like that. You got to make sure it's all done at once. Hey everyone, we're in the full swing of winter now and SodaStick has you covered. If you're a hockey fan, check out the North State Icon shirts or the Mick Golden Light snowmobile designs. All of these along with great football designs like the Skull Hats, Football State beanies and hoodies, and my favorite, the Metrodome gear. If you use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER, you can get free shipping. Just go to SodaStick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. All of their apparel is screen-printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. That is S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. A lot, a lot to be balanced here this offseason and what makes it so interesting. Uh, before we wrap up, what do you think the next move is? So, Clint Kubiak's the offensive coordinator. What do we got to find out next? Um, we know that Andrew Janoko is going to be moving the quarterback's coach. Keenan McCardell is going to be the wide receiver's coach, which I'm excited about. I mean, somebody who's played in the league, um, you know, going to be coaching Justin Jefferson. That's going to be good. Uh, we know special teams. I think Pete Samuel reported Carl Scott's going to be the DB's coach. Uh, so that's, uh, that's interesting. Um, as far as the next move, you know, coaching staff looks like it's done, right? Uh, I think looking towards free agency, you got to start cutting people. You got to start creating that cap space, and yeah, they did that last year, like right up against it. That Friday that they cut Linval, um, and they cut Rhodes to create a bunch, like ten million in cap space or whatever it was, and then, you know, all those dominoes. But I do think that they have to start getting super cut heavy with Rudolph, um, maybe restructuring Harrison Smith and extending him. Um, figuring out what you're going to do with Reef so he doesn't tell you to buzz off um, (laughs) by approaching him with an extension. You've got to get clever. Um, And figuring out what you're going to do with guys like Anthony Barr. I mean, his his number's too high, and it would be a nice way to get some financial stability if you could lower that number any way possible. Yeah, I I just – 
can't remember in my brain like when these things start to happen. If it's closer to free, it's usually with this team. They wait till the final hour of absolutely. Yeah, if you, I mean, shoot, they extended Kirk the morning of, you know, the Monday before free agency, right up against the franchise tag deadline. So, right, right after we did a podcast saying, you know, Kirk doesn't have to sign an extension anytime soon, yep. if I recall. So anyway, uh, Courtney, great stuff. I'm glad we could do this semi-emergency podcast, and there will be. Plenty more to come, and uh, next time, a draft sim. A draft sim is required. Always about the draft sim. I'm ready. (laughs) All right. Talk to you later.